following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. I want to begin a, a little differently this morning. I want to go ahead and read the text for uh, where we're going this morning. Colossians chapter 4. Verses 2 through 6. And I, I'm going to read it again, but I want to read it now so we can have that as our background, as our foundation before we talk any further. So, Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, here's what the Bible says Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the Word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. You know, when, when God founded the New Testament church, He did so with great authority and with great purpose. He knew exactly what He was doing, and He planned exactly how He wanted to do it. And here's what it looked like. God, the Father, sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the second person of the Trinity, to take the form of a human man, to be at one time God in the flesh as well as the most humble, obedient servant. And after living a perfect, sinless life, Jesus voluntarily laid down His life as the perfect sinless sacrifice that would satisfy God's righteous requirement under the law. On the third day, though, Jesus Christ, this spotless Lamb of God, He rose up victoriously from the grave, conquering death, hell, and the devil, and He demonstrated once and for all the power that's in the almighty hand of God. And after revealing Himself as risen, and alive forevermore over a period of 40 days, Jesus Christ ascended back into heaven where He took His rightful place at the right hand of the throne of God. And then He sat down to signify that this work of redemption had been fully completed. Which is, by the way, why Jesus would say in John chapter 19 and verse 30, It is finished. Because it truly was. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's also the foundation of the New Testament church. And so, all those who follow Christ in repentance and faith belong to the New Testament church. And He's given His church, God has, certain responsibilities 
and obligations. Now, in this passage today, the Apostle Paul highlights two of the highest priorities given to all followers of Jesus. Prayer and evangelism. And these two disciplines are absolutely crucial to the mission of God and to the mission of God's people. So, let me read it again. Colossians 4, beginning in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the Word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to us. Speak clearly to us in Your Word. And I pray that You will not allow me to mess it up. That we'll hear from You in spite of me for Your glory and for our good. For Christ's sake, Amen. Now this, this text today, this is only five verses, and I, I, I sense what some of you may have thought, or maybe it had just a passing thought. You're thinking, well, it's, it's barely even 10.30. We only got five verses. We might be getting out early today. Um, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, right, don't hold your breath. Um, but here, let me just tell you this. In this brief section of this letter, we're, we're almost at the end of the letter. In fact, next week we'll con- conclude this study through Colossians because from verse 7 to verse 18 is really a conclusion of the letter. It's Paul speaking to some particular people, talking about some particular closing things and some last instruction, and then he, in verse 18 he concludes. But this section, these five verses highlight for us two indispensable things, and they're related. And so I really want us to zero in on this so we don't miss what, uh, is, what I think is some of the more powerful verses in the letter because of how it draws on two different parts of the letter previously, and it, it kind of ties it together. So here's what we have to see for ourselves in five verses. There's two paragraphs, technically, in these five verses, and they both show us two Commands. Number one, devote yourselves to prayer. It seems straightforward enough, right? Devote yourselves to prayer. What does it mean to devote yourself? Be devoted, committed, surrendered, sold out to prayer. And, and I'm going to just... I, I, I find myself doing this maybe more often, and maybe it's because of what happens while I'm studying and... and how all this kind of weighs on me, but I feel like, as I did Wednesday night, I feel like I need to reiterate a little bit of a confession. 
And, and because I suspect, gosh, I hope I'm not the only one. I don't think I am. I'm convinced that I do not pray enough. I don't pray often enough. I don't pray consistently enough. I don't pray earnestly enough. I just I don't pray enough. Am I the only one? I feel like, especially Sunday morning, I, I pray on Sunday mornings, every Sunday morning, I pray for a list of people, um, most of them pastor friends of mine in other local churches, some in this area, some in this state, some in other states, but friends that I know personally that I'm praying for because I know what they're about to do. They're about to do the same thing I'm doing. And, and I know from experience how much they need prayer. You know why? Because I know how much I need prayer. And, and let me just... I don't want to belabor this point too much, but let me just say this. Over the past 19, almost 20 years, there have been a handful of times where I have stood in a place like this and I have conveyed the, the words of Scripture. And I, I, listen to what I'm saying. I'm not using the word preach on purpose. Because I've stood and I've read and I've talked. But I was not depending on Jesus. It's a handful of times. But let me just tell you from personal experience. If you ever, if you're teaching Sunday school, if you're leading a Bible study, if you're teaching vacation Bible school, if you're preaching, whatever you're doing, when you're opening your Bible and you are presuming to speak on behalf of God Almighty, if you ever do that, and you presume to do it in your own strength, it is terrifying. As soon as you realize what you've done, and, and I will just say for me, it happened um, in the middle. Like I started, and then midway, it, it hit me what was happening. And it, I, I got, almost got sick in my stomach, I, I, was, I felt so uncomfortable because I realized what was happening. And I realized how dangerous it is. And, and I want to just tell you as clearly as I can tell you, when I pray before I step up here, I am, I am honestly praying out of desperation. Because here's a truth I know for a fact. If Jesus doesn't show up and and speak, <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing for you. Nothing I can tell you. It doesn't matter if it's um, academically factual. It doesn't matter if it's um, correct technically. It it's not. 
it's not any good. You know why? Because it's just me. And who am I? I'm, I'm trying to, to um, communicate the necessity of prayer. I cannot tell you anything of any value apart from the Holy Spirit of God. It's His Word. I I can't speak for Him. He's got to speak or else we're done for. You understand what I'm saying? So when, when Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, he's not joking around. Devote yourselves to prayer. And then he says, keep alert. Keep alert. Why? Anybody struggling today with anything? More particularly, anybody struggling with sin? Anybody battling daily? Be alert. Be watchful. Pray, devote yourselves to prayer. With thanksgiving, it says. Has God forgiven you? Has God blessed you? Has God provided for you? Has He shown you grace and mercy and kindness and patience? Be thankful. Be thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert with thanksgiving. See, there's two parts of this first paragraph, verses 2, 3, and 4. There's two um, directions, I think, of, of the prayer because Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Well, God says, Paul writes it down. Uh, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert with thanksgiving. But then look what it says right after that. Praying at the same time for us as well. So there's a pray for your own spiritual well-being, right? Verse 2. But then, pray for your brothers and sisters. Pray for your, your fellow Christians. Because what does he ask? He says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert with thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well. Why? This prayer, this part of the prayer, verse 3, is specific. It's about evangelism. Pray that God's going to open up a door for the gospel. And then there's the purpose statement. I love, I love when every time you see this in your Bible, pay attention because this is really, really cool. Every time it says, so that, that's a particular construction in the Greek language. It shows you a purpose statement every time. So it says, so that, uh, why are you praying at the same time for us? So Paul if you look back uh, to the very beginning, Paul and Timothy, they're in prison. So Paul's saying, you need to devote yourselves to prayer for your own good, you know, for your own good, your own well-being. But then also pray for us too, that God will open up a door for the Word. And then he says, so that we can speak forth the mystery of Christ. Now remember, there was some foolishness going on, false teachers... So Paul is praying on behalf of him and Timothy and the brothers. He's saying, pray that God will open up a door for us for the gospel so we can speak forth the mystery 
of Christ. Well, what's the mystery? Well, you go back to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27, and the Bible says this mystery that's been hidden for the ages but's now made known. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. It's, it's Christ in you. It's the hope of glory. And Paul says we need to speak that. We need to make that known. We need God to open up a door for us so we can make that known. And he says, for which I've also been imprisoned. Paul was put in prison because of his preaching to the Gentiles, and he's still there when this letter's being written. Now, I can't help but make this um, little note. So here's, here's how I envision it. And, you know, it's just my imagination, but based on the text, here's how I envision it. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm all right. I'm in jail. Oh, you're, okay. Well, um, what you doing in jail? I was preaching. I was preaching the gospel. Got put in jail. Oh, okay. Well, um, you got any prayer requests, you know, while you're in jail? Yeah. Um, hey, would you pray that God would open up a door so we can preach the gospel? Uh, all right, hang on. Um, you were preaching the gospel, and you got thrown in jail. Yeah, that's right. And you want us to pray that God would open a door so you can preach the gospel some more. Yep. Okay. you probably get thrown in jail again. Yeah, I know. But, I mean, I can preach while I'm in jail because there's guards and stuff, you know. I can talk to them. Does, does this make any logical sense to, to people? He's in prison because he was preaching. And here's what he's praying. And he's asking other people to pray. Hey, pray that God will open the door so we can preach the gospel some more. From prison. From preaching. That's a different attitude, y'all. That's a different type of attitude. Because you know what most people would say? Hey, um, I'm in jail for preaching, so I'm going to dial that back a little bit. I don't think I'm going to do as much of that, at least not in public. I'm not going to be preaching, you know, because I'll get thrown in jail. Not Paul. Not Timothy. He says, we're in jail for preaching. I've been in prison because of preaching to the Gentiles. And so, um, could you pray that I'll be given more opportunities to preach? enough to make us examine our perspective just a bit. He says, so that, again, I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. I need When I preach the gospel, I want it to be plain. I want it to be clear. I don't want there to be any misunderstanding, no confusion. And interestingly enough, as wonderful as Paul's preaching probably was to his hearers and seems to be to us, it's almost as if he's never satisfied. And honestly, what preacher should ever be satisfied that he's done enough, that he's said enough, that he's preached it straight enough? I, I mean, I know we can be our own worst critic, but Paul's consuming interest 
was just the advancement of the gospel. Not his own safety, not his own comfort. His, his main objective, he was consumed with it. I want the gospel to advance. I want people to hear about Jesus. So, little point of personal application. What is our consuming purpose? Like right now. I'm not saying what should it be. I'm saying what is it? What consumes us? What attracts all of our attention? What do we want to happen more than anything else in the world? What drives us in life? Is it the gospel and the advance of the gospel? Is it people hearing the life-giving message of Christ and being uh, drawn to His love and being convicted of their sins and surrendering to Jesus? Is that the consuming passion of our lives, of our hearts? Should it be? Shouldn't it be? That's where Paul is, and he's writing from a, from a place of persecution. So just understand the perspective. He's not comfortable. He's not sitting in his condo overlooking the Mediterranean, thinking everything's awesome, and writing this letter to the church. Well, I guess I'll send the churches some encouragement. That's not what's happening. He's in a prison cell. And he's still got the same perspective. I just want people to know Jesus. I just want the gospel to go forth. Devote yourselves to prayer. And pray for us too that God will open a door for us so we can speak the mystery of the gospel. And, and speak it clearly. Because that's what we should be doing. Devote yourselves to prayer. Number two. Be wise toward outsiders. Now, that's an interesting term, but it's very specific. What, what is an outsider? It's someone who doesn't know Jesus. It's, it's an unbeliever, someone who's far from Christ and needs to know Christ. That's, that's who he's talking about. He says, be wise. Be wise. In other words, walk, literally, walk with wisdom toward outsiders. And, you know, Paul uses that term consistently walk as a synonym for live. So, live with wisdom. And it's present tense, so it's keep on living, keep on walking with wisdom. So, the way you behave, the way you live, the way you conduct your life should be with wisdom. Now, here's the question. Where are we going to get that kind of wisdom? We need, yeah, right? We need, we need the Bible, right? But where did the Bible come from? See, here's another reference back. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. Where is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? It's hidden in Christ. In Christ. Colossians 2, 3. It says it very specifically. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. So what do we need to do? We need to keep walking with Jesus. Right? We need to stay in the Word and we need to keep walking with Jesus. Otherwise, we're never going to have the wisdom that Jesus says we need to live toward outsiders, toward those who don't know Jesus. And then he says, redeeming the time. That's what it literally means. Making the most of the opportunity. So, here's the thing. We need to be living our lives 
in such a way that we will attract, impress, or even convict unbelievers of their sin, give this unbelieving community a favorable impression of the gospel. Making the most of the opportunity. Literally, like I said, means redeeming the time. It means redeem. It means to, to buy out. To purchase completely. To use your time wisely. Now, I've got two things to say about that before we get to the last point. So, we're supposed to, to walk with wisdom toward outsiders. So, here's a question. Maybe just an observation. Have you ever seen a Christian that spoke or behaved or lived in a way that did not represent Jesus well? Now, and I'm not talking about people in the world. I'm talking about people who profess to know Jesus. Did you know that many times, many more times than I wish it were true, but many times people who don't know Jesus are turned off to Jesus and the Gospel not because of Jesus and the Gospel, but because of Christians. Do you hear me? Because of people who claim the name of Jesus, but don't live the life of Jesus. Years ago, back in the 90s, this was a band called DC Talk. They had a, a great song that's called, What If I Stumble? And at the very beginning, there's a, a recorded clip from a sermon of a preacher, and he says, the greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who profess Christ with their lips, then walk out their door and deny Him by their lifestyle. And he said, that is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Jesus gets a bad rap many times. Not because of himself, because of those who claim to know him. And that's a shame. That's a shame. I had a professor in seminary, we were sitting in, um, in Greek class, and um, you talk about something funny. My Greek professor was from Mississippi. And, I mean, you can just imagine, I mean, he speaks English, you know, from the country and then speaks Greek. It's just, it was crazy. Um, but you know what he said? I remember this. I remember it distinctly. He's talking about um, Christians who continually, or I say Christians, people who profess Christ, who continually give Christ a bad name. And somebody asked a question about, well, what, you know, what happens in those situations? What do we do about that? And... He said, well, sometimes um, sometimes folks like that, honestly, if they're, uh, whether or not they're truly, genuinely converted or not, sometimes uh, 
they just uh, their their earthly life just comes to an end. And he said it's almost as if Jesus is looking at them and said, "You know what? You've embarrassed me long enough. Your time is over. You've embarrassed me long enough." And, and that that phrase just it stuck with me. It just it was frightening. I don't I don't ever want God to look at me and and just say, "Hey, you're you're done. You're you've embarrassed me long enough." Man, what a terrible thought that we would em- embarrass the name of Jesus. Something to think about. Redeeming the time. And uh, I will say this about that. You know, I, I played baseball all the way through high school. And uh, at practice, I um, I know we had to practice all practice defense, you know, and fielding and all this. I know that's necessary. It's important. But you know what I really loved? I loved batting practice. I loved it. It's my favorite part of practice. When you just get to sit in the cage and the pitcher's out there, usually one of the coaches, and then you just get to just get to wail on some baseballs, you know. And it's so much fun getting your timing down, getting your sight down, and watching the ball. And and here's what would invariably happen: I'd be sitting there, and most of the time I might hit hit them pretty solid. I might hit a, you know line drive to the gap in the outfield. Like, okay, that was good, that was good. But here's what I've been saying to myself. In my mind, I'd be saying, ah, didn't quite get that one. Didn't quite get it. And it was, it was all right, but I didn't quite get all of it. But then, the best feeling is every so often, man, everything would come together. You'd see the ball clearly. It'd be right where you wanted it to be. And you'd, you'd let that swing go, hit it right in the sweet spot on the bat, and that ball would just, like a moonshot. And, and you say to yourself, oh, I got all of that one. Every bit of it. So satisfying. It's like you swing and it feels like you didn't even hit anything because it was just so perfect. We ought to walk away from gospel conversation. Man, I got all of that. Every bit. I didn't leave anything out there. I got every bit of it. So satisfying. Making the most of the opportunity. Don't leave anything on the field. Leave it, you know, you you walk away and you think, 100%, I got every bit of it. That's kind of what we're looking at here. Make the most of the opportunity. Redeem the time. Use your time wisely. Buy it out. The last thing he says about walking with wisdom is your speech should be with grace. Your word, literally, he uses the word logos. Your word should be filled with grace at all times, seasoned with salt. In other words, marked by purity and wholesomeness. And so it's language that's not dull, not flat. It's interesting. It's well-chosen words. It's gracious, winsome speech that's been made ready to hear and receive so that we'll know how to respond to anybody at any time with the gospel. So our conversations should be appropriate for every person we're talking with. We'll know how to respond if our speech 
is filled with God's grace. And, and where do we get that? We get it from Jesus. See, all this hinges on walking with Jesus. We've got to walk with Jesus more and more, closer and closer, and, and receive all that He has for us, our, our lives to be transformed to be more like Him. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be wise toward outsiders. The real takeaway in today's passage is really simpler than we may realize. There's, this, there's a common thread that's connecting these two principles of prayer and wisdom. So here's how we conclude. If you consider the purpose behind the prayers and the purpose behind the wisdom, then you'll see they're both instrumental in evangelism, which is sharing the good news, sharing the gospel. It all goes back to spreading the gospel. Jesus Christ founded the New Testament church on the truth of the gospel. He commissioned the church to preach the gospel with a view toward making disciples, right? Great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's our job, our, our number one job. So we need prayer and wisdom to accomplish those things. And, and prayer isn't just a good idea. It's vital to the mission. And wisdom isn't just a good thing to have. It's vital to the mission. It's all about the mission. I want to share this quote with you as we close. Prayer is not for God's benefit. Doesn't God know? I mean, Jesus said, Matthew 6, 8, don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Prayer is not for God's benefit. It's for us. It's for our benefit. It's a divine mechanism through which we are transformed more and more into the image of Christ. And so then, being more and more like Jesus we'll be more and more in tune with His will and His ways. Why are we here? What are we called to do? We're called to share Jesus and share His love. So, pray. Be wise. Share Jesus and His love. It's just like the old song. Right? I love to tell the story. It will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.